0: The process of losing weight is uncomfortable, but that's good because that's where we grow and become better versions of ourselves. Weight loss is a doorway, not a destination. Our interviewed guest today hits on so many incredible ideas and focus points. He talks about building your lifestyle and repeating small behaviors until they become habit, CMGs, or can't miss goals. Lots of talk around compassion and how it's not a get out of jail free card. It is not judgmental or enabling. It walks that middle road and says, Hey, let's figure this out. What's going on here. If you are ready for true change and lasting inspiration, inspiration. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining me. I am your host, Lindsay House, registered dietitian, private trainer, accountability coach, author. I have been working with clients for over 13 years, passionately changing the culture of health and fitness. I'm out here smashing scales, helping individuals rewrite the rules to what success looks like in their life. I want to change generational thinking, no more all or nothing mentality get rid of the diets and believe in the individualized journey we are stronger than we will ever accept and beautifully made just the way we are keep your eyes on your own paper and trust your own path thank you for trusting me and letting me be a constant encouragement through your week let's get this motivation started welcome to your podcast direction not perfection podcast Friday. Welcome to episode 164. Weight loss is a doorway, not a destination with nutrition and fitness coach, John McLernan. The backstory of how people grow to be passionate about health and fitness. It just, it always fascinates me. And John's story does not disappoint. John is with me today to share his inspiring journey Going through life as a nanotechnology researcher, a naval marine engineer, a globe-trotting English teacher, and an entrepreneur with two failed and two successful businesses, John is going to spell out the fundamental principles of a healthy lifestyle today, and some of our talk points might look like or include a regular pattern of activity, nutrient-dense foods, proactive stress management, quality sleep, rest, and recovery hydration and my goodness so much more let's welcome john owner creator of freedom nutrition coaching lose weight love life never diet again hi john
1: hey how are we doing
0: oh i'm good it's friday how's your friday starting
1: you know, I've already done one webinar and uh, I've also done some breathing exercises and uh, did a ride on my recumbent bike. So I'm feeling like really fresh and energized.
0: Wow. What time is it where
1: you live? <laughs> uh, quarter after 10. So I think I'm an hour behind you.
0: Okay. Okay. You You've been really productive. Good work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I have this kind of rule of thumb that like I invest in myself first every morning before I really dive into work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that's, that really, we'll get into that. Like when we get into the story, but that really has been born of like formerly having a very disordered relationship with myself and my body. And so I really make it a priority to invest in the most important things first when I start my day.
0: And I think it's so important. You're living what you're probably telling your clients. (laughs) So let's use this as a perfect segue into, I think we need to know a little bit more about your past.
1: Yeah, so I've had like a super varied background. Uh, I was a nanotechnology researcher, so that involved in chemistry uh, when I was at university. I spent six years as a marine engineer in the navy. Um, I spent three years as a globetrotting English teacher. I've also been a four-time entrepreneur. I have two failed businesses and two successful ones. So <laughs> wow. it's it's been quite the roller coaster ride. And uh, so I'd say it was about ten years ago um, when we were traveling around the world, my wife and I. We did this. This we didn't set out planning for a three-year trip, but this is kind of how it unfolded. And we ended up down in, in South Africa. And that's where I went through a traumatic experience down there. And as a result of that, uh, I, I became a binge eating food addict. And so I went from being pretty athletic and reasonably active to being morbidly obese over a span of about six months. And, you know, prior to that experience, I would say I would have thought anyone who was overweight was just like lazy or, or undisciplined. But after going through something like that, and I was turning to food as a coping mechanism um, because I felt drugs and alcohol would be a really bad path to go down. <laughs> you know, uh, I I was now all of a sudden trying to wade into this world of like weight loss and diet culture and things I'd never experienced before. Mm. And you know, weight gain comes with a lot of a lot of emotional pain connected to it, as well as physical discomfort. Just genuine, everything's hard. And so I tried a lot of. I don't want to say stupid things because, uh, uh, you know, a lot of things that were never destined to work. Uh, I spent a lot of time and energy looking for answers in all the wrong places. And that led me to about six years of struggling with yo-yo dieting up and down. Now I share that because people will hear that I've lost over 100 pounds and kept it off. I'm like, the truth is I probably lost more like 600 pounds. But <laughs> with, <laughs> with, the, with the up and down of like weight regain, uh, yeah. it, was, it was a lot. So it, it was... It was when I hired a coach about four years ago, back in 2017, and he really shone a light on this, this glaring problem that was staring back at me, and that was my relationship to myself and to my body. So because of all of my failed attempts to lose weight, I'd really become quite angry and spiteful towards my body. It was, it was as though I felt it had betrayed me. You know, because hmm. it had robbed me of this athleticism. It had robbed me of a number of years in my 30s. You know, it's not that I didn't have, I had a bad life, but it had robbed me of a lot of things I used to do. And it was like I had repeatedly tried to punish it into submission, and my body refused to comply. And so this coach, he worked with me to really to heal my relationship with myself. And kind of by extension, that changed my relationship with food in, in a uh-huh. very powerful way. And as that shift happened, uh, this recognition that I could treat myself with compassion... And actually lose the weight. And not only that, keep it off and move into this, this incredibly healthy space where I'm at now mentally and emotionally.
0: So interesting. And just to rewind for a second, was any mm. part of the traumatic experience? Did you have injury to your body at any point?
1: Yeah, well, I was concussed for anybody listening. Like I'll share a few of the details and it might sound like I talk about it lightly and I will say I've done the work, which allows me to speak about my traumatic experience. And I think it's really important to understand that because there's some people who've been through trauma who can't yet really discuss openly what they experienced and that's okay. Sure, sure. Um, I was attacked by by four men and their goal was to beat me to death. Um, They'd murdered a man the night before and this was living in South Africa. So it wasn't really about me necessarily, but it was about I was a white individual in South Africa. They didn't know anything about my history. And so I I, I would say that I was a representation of something they had felt had historically oppressed them. And this was the course of action they were taking. And so, uh, yeah, I ended up up like badly concussed and I didn't break any bones and they had knives, but they didn't actually stab me, which uh, I managed to get away before that happened. Uh, you know, well, I say get away. There was a whole experience. We were trapped in a building. We were kind of held hostage for a while. And it, like it was just, a, it was a really messy experience. But so the follow-up from that was we continued living in South Africa and there was many more incidents that happened, none quite as violent as what happened to me and put me in the hospital. But um, it's like you layer trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And it got us to the point where I think I was probably on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Um, I had a lot of violent and angry thoughts in my head, um, which is not who I am by nature. Uh, they're called intrusive thoughts, you know, and they were actually starting to have some appeal. And that was when I knew I had to get out of the situation because something's going really wrong here when I'm actually thinking, I want you to break in so I can attack you. Mm -hmm. Um, My my brain was trying to take something back that had been taken from me. Uh, And that happens in the the experience of trauma where something is taken from somebody. And very often we say, hurt people, hurt people. So Mm -hmm. those who have been uh, victims of violence or abuse it's not uncommon for them to become violent abusers, but the behavior makes sense because they're trying to take back something that was taken from them.
0: Yeah. No, thank you for going into that. I just, again, for our listeners who can sit here and empathize and and see hope in your journey and where you've come. Another big question for listeners will be, you mentioned this coach, where was the aha moment for you? The light switch that was like, this is the area I need to work on. How did that coach help you get to that point?
1: Well, he asked one question. I say, this question changed my life. Um, so he he said to me, and we'd been working together for a couple of months. So there's real power in coaching and very well-timed questions. And uh, that's, I think that's, you know, I'm a coach, obviously, and I, and I love it, but I think that's really key. And he said, you know, Jonathan, if, if you make a list of all the things that you love and value, how far down that list do I go before I see your name?
0: Mm. Yeah. How far was it?
1: I wasn't on the list. Wow. Yeah. So that for me, like I was really stunned when he asked that question because he was presenting something that was really outside of my sense of identity, my, my understanding of reality, my sense of what masculinity looks like and so on. I, you know, it sounds strange now that I look back and the relationship I have with myself and my body now, but we can't really conceive of things that, you know, never really thought about before. I didn't, I didn't know that I was allowed to be on a list of things I love and value. And maybe I thought that would have actually been like arrogant or I would have had some sort of misplaced humility. Now I have to figure out, well, what does that look like? Yeah. What does it look like to actually love myself? It feels weird and it feels awkward. And how do you, where do you even start? And especially in masculine culture, and believe me, I'm, I'm very much an advocate of positive masculinity. I love being male. I love masculine energy, but uh, we certainly have our problems. I'll, I'll say that. Um, but this idea, he he modeled for me what compassion looked like because I didn't know how to show myself compassion. And I think it came from this misunderstanding of what compassion actually is. Mm -hmm. And so in a nutshell, I would say uh, compassion is not a get out of jail free card, um, but compassion really walks the middle road. So from the one hand comes like judgment and shaming to try and coerce someone and change behavior. Like you should know better. Why are you doing this? That doesn't really help because that causes a defensive retreat. On the other hand, if they go, hey, you know what? You've already had a hard day. You might as well polish off whatever it was you were started into. That's called enabling. It doesn't really move somebody forward either. So compassion walks the middle road and says, hey, let's figure out what's going on here. And uh, we're going to do it without judgment.
0: Uh, You're well-spoken. I could sit here and listen to you all day. Thank you. (laughs) Such a fun surprise on this Friday. It's interesting because where you go with masculinity, there's the female part of this comes more from too much time on others and that feeling of needing like that you're selfish if you take time on yourself like you can see where both genders go down their own path of why there's not permission to to fill your own cup and we can't pour from that empty cup and so i know this is resonating with so many people (laughs) so again perfect segues back to if you are filling your own cup first What does that look like, again, for you as well as your clients?
1: I'll explain to people. The first thing that started sort of my journey of self-love was brushing my teeth. Mm. And why I want to highlight that is because maybe we have this idea that needs to be this grandiose thing. But what this involved for me was really changing my sense of identity and my sense of self-worth. And it's like, well, how do we do this? You know, affirmations have value. I don't want to speak down about them. However, if they're not grounded in reality and matched by actions, we know at the core of our being that they're not true. And so the act of brushing my teeth was a simple investment in myself, a simple act of self-care. And every time that behavior was repeated, I was signaling to myself, I am worthy of self-care. So from that point, I was able to build. So then it became drink 500 mils of water, or I guess it'd be uh, 16 ounces of water to start my day to hydrate, you know? And these little steps, just piece by piece, you know, baby steps. And it was enough that, you know, because if we try to introduce too much change, we'll actually trigger what I call the emotional brick wall. Our brain goes, this is too too much of a departure from who I am. Mm -hmm. And so we must go back to where we were before. And that will show up in the form of self-sabotaging behaviors very commonly.
0: Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I love that you said brushing your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't where I thought you were going to go. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I was just talking to somebody else who said the dentist like industry has it right as far as even if we go this way with uh, self-care as well as we, no one questions doing that. Like that is a <laughs> habit that's built in that people just go, yes, we, we signed up for it. We say yes. And, and to think how do we shift that over into nutrition habits or fitness habits where it just feels that innate, like, of course I brush my teeth. Of course I go for a walk in the day. And I think our industry of fitness and health has our work cut out for us a little bit.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So I I, um, speak a lot about what I call CMGs or can't miss goals. Um, in fact, I was just on, a, on a, another broadcast this morning talking about New Year's resolutions and the struggles that we encounter with them. And so, the idea behind a can't miss goal is it's because what determines the success of a habit? Because if we're going to build a lifestyle, it's going to be built on the back of like our habits and kind of our systems. And that's not to remove the emotion of the human experience from it, but that's kind of how our brain works. So, if you want to establish a habit, a, a behavior that we do without really thinking too much about it, we have to have it, it has to be a repeatable behavior. And so if we think about the more times we repeat a behavior, the more likely it becomes a habit. So if you tried to set this activity goal, like I'm, you know, maybe you've been sedentary and you go, I'm going to hit the gym, you know, five days a week for an hour. That's a huge leap from sitting on the couch. And you're very likely to fail at that. And the the, the repeatability of that behavior is quite low. On the other hand, if you say, I'm going to go for a five minute walk every day. And if after five minutes I feel like going for more, I will. If not, I'm done. I can take it off. Because what you're doing is you're, you're building a pattern of behavior. You're wiring that into your brain. And by doing it this way, um, you're actually turning that behavior into something that doesn't require conscious effort every day.
0: Right. Which goes along with the talk of neuroplasticity, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the more that we do something, that we carve that path out and make it easier and easier. And diminish the other paths that we're trying to. Because I'm sure for you too, yes, you are healed in a sense, but do you have your days where you go, okay, slippery slope could happen here? Like, yeah, I mean, what, what does that look like for you when you get those feelings?
1: I, I can, I'm able to view them with compassion now. Um, and I speak a lot about compassion because my two, the two, my two core values are compassion and integrity and everything else kind of flows from there. So mm-hmm. living in accordance with my values is integrity. And then compassion is giving myself the space to be human and struggle. I think those are really, really important because people see the before and the after and they just mm-hmm. assume that the after is happily ever after. And I mm-hmm. go, well, you know, I'm in a much, much better place and I certainly wouldn't go back to where I was, but it doesn't mean I'm free from struggle. And I think once we understand that, we're, we're, we're less disappointed by the reality that once you, let's say, hit a weight goal, for example, if that's what you want to work towards, like life continues. You still got to do the laundry, wash the dishes, that kind of stuff, right? Life, life continues. So for me, I, I'm a, I would say like a recovered, a binge eating food addict. That was part of the, my, my trauma, but it doesn't mean those urges don't show up in my head. You know, they're uninvited, but they show up. So, you think, well, how do, how do I navigate that? Well, the first thing is I don't judge myself for these impulses showing up in my head. I don't say like, oh, you idiot, you're past that, why is, you know, and so on. So there's no judgment around that. It's kind of more like a curiosity, like, you know, and actually, I just say, you know, you don't belong here. Like that was a part of old me. And uh, so I just kind of, I, I, through meditation, I've actually learned how to, I have this visualization where I wrap a thought in a, a bubble and and I float it out the side of my head. Mm. So it's, it's this idea that I don't have to act on that urge. Um, the other thing I tap into is what I call my emotionally compelling reason. Um, Simon Sinek might call it your "why," uh, but I, I like to go a little deeper and say this is an emotionally compelling reason because we are human beings are very much emotional creatures with a logical component to our brain. I I have an eight month old son, and uh, I love him dearly. He's the cutest boy in the world, of course. <laughs> and, you know, um, he's his legs never stop moving, like. He just, he was, he was doing like 120 kicks a minute in the womb. Like he was, we we would joke that he was riding a bike in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was kind of a preview of what's to come. So so all of a sudden I realized like this kid, uh, I'm an older dad. I started at 39. I'm going to be 40. This kid's going to be one. I'm going to be 50. This kid's going to be 10. And I already see how much energy this kid has and how much he moves. And if I want to be present in his life, I have to start now. So naturally I'm quite strong. And so I like lifting weights. It's just, it's easy to go to what we're strong, but now uh, I'm working on my conditioning because I realize I have to be able to sprint after this kid. If he heads for a road, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to be responsible for some sort of unfortunate mishap that could have been prevented, but it's more important to me than that. It's that I I say, I don't want to be a sideline dad. I don't want to have to sit on the couch and watch my kid play and be like, I'm sorry. I can't be on the floor with you. I want to be able to get up and down and play with him and be physically present in his life and really model healthy masculine behavior for him.
0: Do you walk all of your clients through a scenario like this to help them get very clear on their, their why or their yeah. emotional component with that
1: I do. So when we, when we start out, um, like I send my clients an intake form, which is pretty common, but I ask a few key questions in there because I, I say that weight loss is a doorway. It's not a destination. So I still believe there's value in talking about weight loss. Um, I understand why the pendulum swung really far because there's a lot of like shaming and guilt and things like that. You know, our, our, our sense of self-worth shouldn't necessarily be connected to our physical appearance entirely. That being mm-hmm. said, there is a real impetus in terms of our health to achieve a healthy weight. We know that, you know, cardiovascular health, diabetes and so on, they're very real things. So, um, but nobody's motivated by, I don't, or very few, I should say are motivated by like, well, I don't really want to get heart disease. That, that doesn't really light a fire inside of us. Um, even a number on the scale, what we're actually thinking about is how I will feel. And what I will be able to do that I can't do right now. So we're actually thinking about the lifestyle we want to lead. And so we really want to dig into that and get them to visualize what does this look like for you? What's this number actually about? And by going through that, so now we have something to connect to. Because the process of, um, of losing weight is uncomfortable. Uh, you know, I wish it was fast and easy in one sense. But you know what? Actually, I take that back. I like the fact that it's uncomfortable because it's where we grow and transform and become better versions of ourselves. And I think there's a quote out there. Uh, I, don't, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's like when we accept it, it's going to be hard, it gets easier.
0: Hmm. Right. Shifting of expectations, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. I often feel like um, one of my my titles should be manager of expectations.
0: Yeah. If we yeah. would actually shift more expectations, we'd get a lot, a lot further. So, so somebody gets an intake form, you start yeah. with it this way and then next steps would look like what?
1: Well, what we're going to do is we're going to, we know the fundamental principles of a healthy lifestyle. Um, Our biology really hasn't changed very significantly from, you know, thousands of years ago. So we know the fundamental principles are going to involve a regular uh, pattern of activity. It's going to involve eating mostly nutrient dense foods, a good amount of vegetables, lean protein, quality carbohydrates, and so on. Um, Probably some uh, proactive stress management because we live in a pretty stressful world, Um, quality sleep, rest, and recovery, and maybe Mm -hmm. something like hydration, right? So, those principles don't really change. We in the health and fitness and nutrition industry, we dress it up differently to try to appeal to people's sense of novelty or desire for novelty. But the truth is they're fundamentally not going to change very much. Now, I don't hand people rules and say, you have to follow these rules because you're in my program now. That's very disempowering and actually really dishonors the individual. Um, it, it just dishonors their their autonomy. So rather I say, we're going to start with a principle Uh, This is our starting point, and you're going to try to implement this, and then you're going to report back to me how it works and where it doesn't, what it triggers, and you are actually going to actively shape this principle in a way that works for you. And by doing this, now that you have an active hand in shaping your lifestyle, when I step away from our time working together, you don't just collapse because, you know, me and my sort of rules have disappeared from your life. And so I really want to, because my goal is not just to help people lose weight. We could tie you to a tree and starve you and you'll lose weight. But as soon as we untie you, you're going back to you know, your old patterns of behavior. It's and so, so good. I, yeah. I really want to empower the individual to, to create that. So that they're actually the ones that create the transformation. You know, it, I, don't, I don't want to put up my hand and be like, I'm the one that created that transformation, this individual. Um, so I say to my clients, um, think of me like your tour guide, not your Sherpa.
0: Perfect. It is. It's always the person that's creating theirs. And I love, I think it's empowering to tell someone that too, that this yeah. is you, your successes, cause you're doing, you're working, you're making it happen.
1: If the goal is permanent weight loss, you kind of have to become permanently transformed. I say, kind yeah. of. no, you actually have to become permanently transformed. And that's, yeah. that's, um, that can be like a daunting thing to face. So we will give mm-hmm. you an example. When I was at my peak of about 330 pounds, In in my heart, I felt like I wasn't going to be able to lose this weight. So I adopted this identity of the jolly fat guy. You know, show up at parties, huge appetite, you know, loved everyone's food, always took the extra food or whatever, always encouraged people to eat and so on. So I was really acting in congruence with this sense of identity. Now, my attempts to lose weight that failed, they didn't really involve me uh, working to change this sense of identity or adopting a new sense of identity. And so inherently I would end up sabotaging because there was some value in me being the jolly fat guy. People like being around me because I encourage them to indulge in hedonistic behaviors. <laughs> so <laughs> I, there's, it sounds maybe a bit dramatic, but it's like we, there actually need to be a bit of a process of grief in terms of letting go of this person and saying this identity no longer serves me. But we have to remember that it's not 100% positive that I'm letting go of that identity there were elements of it that I had to put behind that actually there was a reason why I liked that identity. You know, I didn't like being obese, but I liked being the life of a party who encouraged everybody to eat. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, changing of identity and then this is a whole nother episode, but how our closest people around us also, you play into the hardship of that because we could be okay with our identity changing and it can be really hard for a loved one. Have you and your wife had any, I'm just going all personal, aren't I? Any issues along Uh, this process?
1: I will say I'm very lucky. Uh, My wife and I have been together for about 17 years. And uh, so she met me when I was just getting ready for boot camp, and I was pretty jacked and in good shape. She's been with me when I was obese and 330 pounds and she never wavered. And so that's not to say there wasn't bumps in the road. There was definitely some, some times where we went through friction, but at the heart of like our relationship was this agreement that we are in this together for life. We made that commitment. And because of that, we're going to work through these things. When we butt heads, you know, we're going to work through it and come out the other side, because at the end of every sort of conflict we go, we have a decision to make here. either we split up and, you know, change our lives entirely we solve this because we're gonna we're gonna to continue to coexist, and we figure out a way to make it work. And so it's not been easy, but it's been absolutely worth it. And so I you know there's another, there's another sort of mental health piece that we didn't really dive into, but I mean I grappled with depression and anxiety as well. So becoming open with her about my struggles was yeah. really really key. So I tried to hide them for a very long time because I felt that it would diminish me as a man in her eyes if she was aware that I had these struggles and weaknesses. When, of course, that was totally not the case. My wife loves mm-hmm. me and wants to support me. She's like my biggest cheerleader. Um, and so when I became open about my struggles and then then became open about my emotions. And it's like, when you when you say that, like it genuinely hurts. I'm, I'm an empath. Like I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so my wife used to tease me and call me the tin man. Uh, but really what it was is I was burying my emotions so they couldn't be seen. It wasn't they weren't <coughs> there. And so, as I became comfortable, becoming open about these things, like there was obviously some, some friction because all of a sudden I'm asking her to treat me differently. I'm asking her to be more thoughtful about the words she uses, because she saw my behaviors, my binge eating, and she felt helpless. She's like, "What do I do?" Like, and she she wasn't equipped, and it's not doesn't really fall in her, in a sense, to try to solve that. So there was this real, this real period of growth that we had to go through to to get to where we are.
0: Right, and it's work, right? It yeah. goes back to it's a bit of an exhaustive process, but it's worth
1: it. hundred percent it is. And I think if we, if we have a hope, like we're willing to be, go back to that emotionally compelling reason, um, you know, part of the reason that we probably had children later in life is because I wouldn't have been a very good father. I wasn't really in the emotional and mental state of mental health where I would have been a good father. And we wanted to be kind of responsible about that. And so now uh, I mean, I absolutely love being a dad and I don't think I'd be in a healthier place mentally to, to raise this little boy. And uh, And so I think it was, uh, you know, that was one of the things that I, but I always wanted to be a dad. It, it, it was, you know, in me for a very long time, but um, recognizing that we, we we needed to wait until we got to this place and now it is absolutely, absolutely worth it.
0: Right. And you have a community where you're supporting all these people. What about you? I know that family's your support system. Do you still yeah. work with a coach? Do you work Absolutely. like what's your, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's really important because again, this is not my quote, but it's like trying to fix yourself is like trying to bite your own teeth. <laughs> it doesn't work because you're stuck in your own head. And so you know, I'm still a human being with emotions and feelings and struggles and good days and bad days and so on. And I think it's really important. You know, w- when I started in this journey, just being like an online nutrition coach, I felt a lot of what's known as imposter syndrome, because I don't look like a fitness model. Yes, I've lost a lot of weight. I have loose skin. I don't look like this flawless, you know, shredded six pack. Mind you, I mean, I think it's a myth that we all want to look like that. I'm healthy. I can do a lot. I can do everything I want to do physically now. Anyways, so I, I really had to grapple with that for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But Connecting with a uh, connecting with a coach um, is so incredibly valuable because it's they, they kind of they're, they're able to give me it's like kind of third party impartial insight. So when I'm struggling with the ticker tape in my own head, you know, they're able to kind of uh, just say, "Hey, let's let's get some clarity around this." Um, I think the other part of it is it's easy to be vulnerable when we're connected to a safe person, if I can put mm-hmm. it that way. Just even from a primal biological standpoint, when we feel safe and we don't feel exposed and isolated, we're much more likely to change and grow. And so I have many big things that I I want to accomplish, and now I actually believe they're possible. And so now I want to connect myself to people that are further down the path that I want to travel because that's one of the best ways to short-circuit the learning curve.
0: Right. It does. It expedites it, doesn't it? I, I, once you start to work with someone and see that process, it'd be really hard not to. So I love that you have your own coach too. You've got your, your program. Where can listeners going, man, I need a John in my life. Where can they find you?
1: So I, I publish uh, live broadcasts regularly, actually. Um, and, and, and I publish them as live so that people can actually interact if they want to, um, mm. usually Mondays, Tuesdays, and Fridays. But so you can look up Freedom Nutrition Coaching, uh, whether it's on Twitch, on, on LinkedIn, um, on, on Twitter. It's at NoFNDiets, NoFNDiets. Um, that's a bit of a play <laughs> on Freedom Nutrition Coaching. Um, as well as you can send me a friend request on Facebook. Um, I, I haven't hit my friend limit yet. So, uh, as of the time of recording this, anyways. And so, um, or of course, I do have a website, freedomnutritioncoach.com. And uh, maybe I could just throw in one more free resource for your clients. Uh, you know, if they find themselves struggling with emotional eating, nighttime eating, binging, that kind of thing, um, this isn't a medical resource, but this is just some tips and tools that I've used and my clients use to help them uh, begin to repair their relationship with food. And so I call it Crush Your Cravings. So if you go to Freedom Nutrition Coach.com slash Crush Your Cravings, uh, sorry, Freedom Nutrition com slash book. Sorry, I made it simpler so people could remember it. <laughs>
0: perfect. Everything will be in the show notes too. If we have people running around doing laundry or whatnot and can't look it up at the moment. I was on, I think your website's beautiful, by the way, if you feel like you could really use some support getting through Mm -hmm. just harder seasons of your life, that is what a John is there for.
1: I really just encourage people to reach out. Um, I'm very down to earth if I could say so. Um, I'm really easy to talk to uh, because I've been there. I think that's yeah. really a part of it. It's it's not that I'm the guru, you're the dummy. It's that, you know, I'm very interested in you as the expert of your own life experience. And that if, you know, if we work together, we're going to collaborate like that instead of, you know, me telling you what to do. So it's a very empowering experience. And so uh, I, clearly I love what I do. I can't see myself doing anything else anymore. <laughs>
0: That's when you know you've done it right you're like I'm there I want to keep growing in my same path but I'm not seeking anymore on these outside edges. I love hearing that you're to that place. You've already given us so much wisdom and hope but I'm going to ask you one final question here and it's if you could wrap your arms around our listeners, or even just think of your, your eight month old son like what would be the one thing that you just hope and pray that people take away from your experience.
1: You're not broken and you're not hopeless. So, the road back might be really difficult, but don't be afraid to ask for help. In fact, the best thing you could possibly do is ask for help. Um, human beings are wired to grow from connection to other human beings. It's the best thing we could do. Um, and so, I think uh, it was a long road back, but it was so worth it. And uh, so, I would just encourage you to do the same thing connect to those people that can really help you move forward and feel no shame in asking for help.
0: Yeah, I love you're not broken, and you're not hopeless. And I can still picture someone on the other end hearing it and being like, I get that for somebody else, but not for me. And you would stand there in front of them and be like, No, I'm talking to you. You're not broken. You're
1: not hopeless. Well, I would say to people, you can borrow my belief in you until you believe in yourself.
0: Mm, That's so good. You're wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for hosting me.
0: Thank you for joining me today. This topic served any purpose for you, or you can picture that exact person who needed this. I'm always honored when you share the episode. We are making 2022 the year that we are going to pour motivation and inspiration onto others. I also always appreciate it when you leave a review on iTunes and rate the podcast. I send you off with all the praise and momentum you deserve for staying open-minded to new information. Keeping that open mind, the idea that our journey will look different now, five years from now, slow and steady, y'all. It's not always instant gratification and not always that exciting, but a much gentler and redeeming path that will serve you well throughout all the years and every season of life. Cheers to health and happiness.